0: The following program is a production of the Recording Library of West Texas and is also available at recordinglibrary.org. Thanks for joining us on Free Speech. Basically, this is just a sit-down with some of the leaders in our community. We're hoping to get a little peek as to who they are not only politically, but personally as well. Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative, everybody's welcome here. Because at the end of the day, no matter what your political affiliation, we're all nothing more than a few people just trying to sit down and figure out how to make the world a better place. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Free Speech, and today we have John Mark Eccles. Now, uh, do you always use all three names, or is that just uh, a formal thing?
1: I actually use both for my first name uh, because my dad is John and my granddad was Mark, and so I got got two first names and one middle name and a last name.
0: Oh, nice. Okay, so John Mark is how you go by, uh, how you go by every day. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Kind of like a Joanne or something like that. Yeah, my only
1: nephew, my nephews call me Uncle
0: Booger. Uncle Booger. Huh. <laughs> See, I like that better. Can I just call you Uncle Booger? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, your background, how you grew up, where you grew up, that kind of thing.
1: Sure. I am from Midland, born and raised. I grew up here. My family's been in Midland for. A really long time. My great grandfather was the sheriff of Midland from 1941 to 1976.
0: So basically, Gary Painter replaced him.
1: Actually, Gary Painter <laughs> yeah. was one of his deputies. Yeah, there was one sheriff between them. No kidding. And uh, yeah, so Gary's huh. been sheriff for oh man, twenty some years now. That gum. But it's pretty awesome. So uh, I make a joke, and you're serious. Yeah. So um, <laughs> grew up here and uh, went, graduated here uh, from Trinity in 2007. And then went off to school at the University of Alabama. And uh came back to Midland after that.
0: Alabama. Dad gum. So uh what was y'all's mascot again? Uh, The Crimson Tide. Yeah, I know.
1: Roll Tide. Roll Tide.
0: I'm a Notre Dame fan. I know exactly. Hey, I was at that game. (laughs) 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 So you know exactly why I'm over here like, you! I'm actually wearing my Notre Dame socks today, actually. Oh, very good. (laughs) No, we had a perfect season, and you guys ruined it. I was
1: was at the game in the Notre Dame
0: section. In spectacular fashion. I mean, y'all, we didn't just lose. Y'all destroyed us. Yes. (sighs) Okay, moving on. I would say sorry, but I'm not. (laughs) <laughs> well, and the difference is you actually went to Alabama, and I did not go to Notre Dame. So you have every right to you know enjoy your, your collegiate experience. And yes. More so than I do, actually, to be a fan. <laughs> so um, you must be very happy, though, with the football team because it's ridiculously good every year.
1: Yes, it's a lot of fun. And I, when I went there, it was just the very first year of Nick Saban. And uh, so it was a good time to be there. We started winning a lot, and it's been fun since then.
0: Yeah, yeah, I bet.
1: <laughs> uh, so after uh, going there, I got a, a business management degree, came back to Midland sort of reluctantly. It was uh, 2011. The economy was really good here and not so much everywhere else, mm-hmm. and family was here. And so I ended up uh, – our, our senior year got cut off a little bit short because of that tornado that came through Tuscaloosa in 2011, Wow! And so I came uh, came back home and thinking it'd be short term, and uh, ended up working in the oil and, oil and gas industry with a lot of other people. In you don't end. say! Yeah, <laughs> and uh, from there, I, I just got really connected and ended up meeting uh, the girl that would become my wife, and buying a house and really putting down some roots. And so everything changed from there. Having kids changed things a lot too. And now that we have children uh, having family around here both mine and my wife's is really really nice
0: you know they, they call midland odessa the black hole just because it sucks you in yeah. and and it's not a lot of people associate that was a with a bad thing but usually it's not a bad thing that keeps you sucked in here it's usually something like what you just said a wife kids a good job things like that and uh yeah i mean you you're exactly the story of so many people from here
1: yeah so many of my friends same story i was back before most of the people that i knew so when i first came home it was not so much fun because i felt like i was a stranger in my own town but uh going forward it's been so great we love it here it'd be really hard to get me to leave and, yeah. uh we're we're here for the long run
0: well i think the key is i mean living in midland it, it you know you you don't have a lot of uh ground scenery you have a big sky and a lot of people uh they don't vacation enough i think if you get out of here every so often you really don't mind living here you know at all mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um I, I love it here um it's been very good to me so uh, i'm kind of in the same boat you are you know i kind of grew up uh, reluctantly uh i left midland for a while and i reluctantly came back and then you know i'm, I'm glad i did because it just like you said sucks you in Yep. (laughs) So what are some of your hobbies? What are some of the things you do in your spare time?
1: Well, uh, I don't know what that is, spare time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I used to do things that were fun. Uh,
0: (laughs) You remember what fun was like. I've
1: forgotten. No. uh, I mean, I I really like to to hike. Um, Like you said, vacationing. There's some places that are within a few hours of Midland that I feel like are, are really good ways for me to get away and decompress from the life that we live. Um, some of those Guadalupe Mountains National Park, Cloudcroft, New Mexico. I just ah, I like to Cloud I like to get up in the mountains by myself
0: and read a lot. You know and. You kind of got the mountain man look. You could totally pull it off.
1: Yeah, I gotta, I'm rocking the beard. I'm you, just going to let it go. You have
0: a respectable beard, good sir. Thank you. So thank you. so
2: do your kids like the mountains as much as you do?
0: They do. We actually,
1: uh, when my daughter was a year and a half, we took her llama packing. Have you ever heard of llama packing? I,
0: I've heard of packing, not llama packing.
1: So the llamas carry your belongings, and I carried her on my back, and we went for three days up in northern New Mexico. So you you, you you were her llama. I was her <laughs> llama. yeah yeah and and we uh we do things like that still we're a little bit limited i've got a back injury i'm dealing with so i can't do so much of that anymore mm. but anyway that's what i like to do and used to play some music around here i had a little band i played the fiddle and really uh, yeah
0: i'm a musician myself How are you yes i haven't
1: picked it up in a while it's been...
0: i've been known to diddle on the git fiddle aka the guitar uh, but, yes but uh <laughs> but yeah what kind of band were you in
1: it was a sort of a I don't know a mixed Country, rock, sort of playing at bars, band.
0: Uh, that's, that's how you know you're a real musician. Every musician, they're like, I don't know what we are. We're just kind of... We just
1: played what we like, It was different stuff. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's how you know you're a real musician. George Strait to sublime, whatever. <laughs> yeah, because they totally go together. Yeah. I could see them playing a show. <laughs> All right. So you are the founder of The Field's Edge, and you work for Breaking Bread?
1: Yes, I, I do. So... Um, my part-time job in the morning from about 6 to 9.30 in the morning is with Breaking Bread Soup Kitchen here in Midland. And I drive a breakfast truck and drive all over the city feeding uh, the homeless and hungry. and.
0: Actually, Abby has already told me about you. I yeah. think your second day here you were t- telling me about him.
1: Yeah, yeah Abby probably. Abby helps <laughs> me out a lot, yeah.
0: Nice. Okay, so continue. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off.
1: Anyway, no, we, just, uh, we, we get uh, food ready for... Um, for our trip in the morning and one of the things that we like to do with that is use the food and the the way that the truck is designed to um, build relationships with people it's really all about that where it's less about the food so the way that it works is you we drive around we pull up Pull out this really handy sliding bed that comes out of the back of the truck with all our food on it, and the food's arranged in different ways so it 's all visible and people can see the different choices and we talk about what we have different types of burritos, different types of pastries, different types of fruit and we like to offer choices as a measure of dignity for people that don 't often get to make choices for themselves
0: that 's actually that 's actually something a lot of people overlook or would would overlook doing what you do is giving them choices mm-hmm. and I, I imagine that brings a whole new aspect of uh Kind of making them feel human again, because exactly. a, a lot of times they get dehumanized.
1: Exactly. Yeah, we we like to steer away from the have some more sloppy Joe mentality. Yeah, hey, I'm and, all uh, for the sloppy Joes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but we love it. We love uh, offering people choices, and through that, we've been doing it about a year, and uh, been able to build some really incredible relationships with people. Hear some stories of how you know what has happened to those that have ended up homeless and in different situations. And really, I've been able to walk with people through some difficult things, and so it's really an awesome thing to do.
0: Well, the the idea of being homeless, I think, is terrifying to a lot of people uh, who really take some time to think about it. Just because uh, you, me, people who aren't you know very wealthy, um, you know, we just you know we make a decent living. We're literally you know a few events away. From being homeless, Absolutely. if you really think about it, I mean,
1: mm-hmm. statistically, it, over half of Americans are one paycheck from becoming homeless. So, wow, that just means that they have less than five hundred dollars in savings and can't afford any kind of emergency. And so, if you think about what it takes to just fall into homelessness, and then it becomes this big spiral. What 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 percentage did you say that was? Over half. Wow. Some estimates are over sixty percent. So it's it's a lot.
0: So if you're having a conversation with somebody. One of the two of you are literally, statistically speaking, uh, one paycheck away from being homeless.
1: Likely so. And what uh, what separates those who actually become homeless and those who don't is that connection and, and relationship, with whether it's family or close friends or whatever. If some kind of catastrophic event happens in someone's life and they don't have any savings and are unable to, to cope with that – um, typically, you know, you or I may have our family to call or a friend or something mm-hmm. that we could fall back on. Whereas the people that are on the street right now, that's usually the story that they don't have.
0: Well, and I would imagine that there's probably a rise in homelessness, despite the job market, just because we have so many people from uh, far away areas who don't have that support net.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We get people that come here uh, thinking, you know, hearing about our low unemployment rate, with a backpack on their back, and get off the bus and realize. Wow, it's really expensive to live in Midland. It is
0: extremely expensive.
1: And not just that, but we're actually seeing an increase in elderly uh, folks that are becoming homeless because they're on fixed income being pushed out of their apartments by by rent increases.
0: Wow. And I I have no doubts of that. I mean, I remember, because I grew up here, and my first apartment was here at the Meridian, and the the Meridian was fairly new then. It was uh, uh, considered one of the nicer apartment complexes back then. I had a two bedroom apartment for 550 a month. Wow. And that was, let's see, um 15 years ago? Okay. I I guess I was about 20 when I got my first apartment and um that's, that that's not that long ago considering where it's at now. <laughs> yeah. I mean <laughs> you will pay four times that easily mm-hmm. for a two bedroom apartment oh, now. Oh yeah. At that same place actually. Mm-hmm. And it's not nearly as nice as it used to be. No.
2: So how did you get involved with working with the homeless?
1: Yeah, it was a really interesting experience. So like I said, I used to be in oil and gas and I, I kind of, I worked through some companies and ended up going out on my own for a little while. And, um, when I got back to Midland and I was really lonely and, and sort of not sure of what, like coming out of college really quickly and sort of being plucked out of that because of this tornado, I get dropped back into Midland and adult life. And I'm really struggling to sort of find myself and, uh, I, I just didn't know how to handle that. And so when uh, I had one friend that was a driller, and I saw him about once a month, and we were at the swimming pool one time, and this, this friend of ours now, who we didn't know at the time, um, he uh, came up and asked he, – he was a little kid, and he came up and asked if we wanted to play ball with him. So we were like, yeah, definitely. And we played ball with him. his dad came over and was like, hey, thanks for playing with my son, and you guys should come to this – young professionals, Sunday school class at first Baptist. And I was like, not, I was not interested to be <laughs> Frank. I was not, <laughs> I was not at all interested. Um, and what happened was a, a couple weeks later, I just, I just got to this place where I was really alone in what I was doing. And I thought, well, I, maybe there's some cool people there. I'll just go check it out. And I ended up getting connected there, um, with some really neat guys and got plugged in, got some really close, um, relationships and, I grew up in a in a Christian environment went to a Christian school but I I guess I wouldn't consider myself a Christian at that point in my life at all. And uh anyway, I ended up uh becoming one, becoming a Christian about that time in my life, 22 years old. Uh it it was a very uh incredible experience for me just understanding that um that I was saved by grace and that I couldn't earn this type of uh, salvation at all by anything that I did that was good. And it was a, a really amazing transformation for me. So from that point on, I felt compelled and uh, called to some kind of service just gradually.
0: I was about to ask because a lot of people who do go into the uh, the oil and gas industry, especially here, uh, they don't tend – I mean they're mostly very giving people. We have a very giving community. I'm not saying that – Oil well, and gas people aren't giving, but they don't usually give up that job completely to go into the nonprofit realm. Yeah, so it that's was, that's a good story. It was
1: a specific, uh, specific, and kind of a lengthy calling. Uh, we got plugged in. My wife worked with the mother in law of the Pastor of church under the bridge here in midland a homeless a street church and i we got invited to come out there and volunteer and at the time it was two thousand and twelve our economy was you know two and a half percent unemployment rate uh really amazing things going on booming hundred dollar oil those kinds of things and so i had i couldn 't in my mind understand why there would be homeless people when when oil was that high and there was for hire signs everywhere and all these jobs and rumors of just people hiring warm bodies, McDonald's paying $18 an hour and a $1,000 sign-on bonus, Mm -hmm. picking you up from work, all those kinds of things. I'm like, why aren't there homeless people? This doesn't make any sense. You know, I just thought it would be as simple as somebody finding a job and you know stopping and 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 jobs aren't aren't
0: the only factor yeah yeah.
1: i just thought well just quit being homeless you know there's plenty of opportunities (laughs) for you Um,
0: stop not having a home yeah it's that simple so
1: so it's it's really unique uh for me because i i came from the perspective of absolutely no understanding um from just believing all the stereotypes about homelessness and and I deal with those things a lot, just hearing people's opinions and, and how they feel about what we do, um, and it helps me to walk with somebody into understanding, because somebody did that for me. So we got asked out to uh, this Church Under the Bridge thing, and... I started hearing people's stories about how they had become homeless, and man, my little world just got shook up, hmm. and uh, started to really feel drawn to service with these people in some kind of way. So Did just, you
0: start to kind of see how that easily could have been you, just hearing their stories?
1: Yeah, um, definitely. If, if it, barring uh, circumstances, just like without, if I didn't have family or the support uh, or the just the way that I grew up, there the, it could easily have been me. Because before I turned. You you know, before I came back to Midland, you know, I made some some poor choices that that really could have spiraled my life out of control. <laughs> I mean, really, I, I by the grace of God, I,
0: I uh, here I am. I think we've all been there. Mm-hmm. Well, except for Abby, she you seem Not you, true. you seem pretty responsible. Um, I mean, for the most part, I mean,
2: we've had conversations. I have definitely made my fair share of mistakes. Well,
0: you need but, to tell me more about your mistake life because uh, uh, for so far, I'm feeling I'm feeling like man, she's really. Got it together, no, you know. Oh, <laughs>
2: that's Jesus, man! <laughs> Any good you see is Jesus. No, I think
0: I think in our early twenties, many of us made decisions that could have taken our life in a completely different direction,
1: or totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. So, is uh, working with the full time, uh, working with uh, this organization full time, is it something that you? I found way more fulfilling than what you did in oil and gas. Are you
1: Yeah, I mean just to go back to to clarify how, how it all happened, after after getting involved with Church Under the Bridge and, and getting just progressively more and more, uh we got invited through a local um low income housing coalition per se that was, you know, trying to solve some of the issues we have here in Midland for affordable housing. We got invited to go down to this place in Austin uh, called Community First Village, and they have pioneered this tiny home movement uh, for the homeless that is centered on relationship, not just housing somebody, but building them up and restoring dignity and all these really awesome things. So I love
0: the tiny homes actually. Yeah. I'm I'm a fan. I'm, well, a, I'm a big fan.
1: Cool. <laughs> well, so we what happened was we went to visit there, and I was uh, I was a consultant at the time, and I came home and I'm like, man, Midland needs this. This would be so amazing for the friends that we have. And this is after working with a homeless for almost four years, just on a volunteer basis. So I'm like, man, we gotta do something like this, and I'm trying to figure it out and not sure what to do. And we had just built a house, we had just had a baby, and just kind of at this crossroads in my life where I'm like I don't know I don't know what I'm being called to do right now. So about 2 weeks later from there they they announced this program down in Austin at this tiny home village that was a 4 month missional internship where you go and you live there and you work there and you sort of immerse yourself in um in what they're doing down there and I'm like and that'd be really cool to do if I didn't have a wife and a baby and a house and all this responsibility. But hmm. I brought it up to my wife, and I'm like, "Hey, uh, this is really neat," and and she was like, "Yeah, it's cool, you know." And uh, <laughs> and and I kept like kept saying it, and I'm like, "Yeah, this is this is so cool." And she's like, "Would you just?" Yeah, I was like, "Would you just? Would you just?" Uh, she said, "Would you just call them and and see what the deal is about it?" And so I said, "Sure." So I called and and uh, asked if they could accommodate a family, and I kind of assumed that they couldn't. And they were like, "Oh yeah, sure, we can." And so we're like, "Oh wow!" And uh, from there, we um, we basically were in a in sort of a season of discernment where we felt like, "Man, we're really being drawn into doing this. It seems insane with what we're doing." My little brother had just gone uh, into full time overseas missions with his wife. And so my parents were kind of like, this is not what we envisioned for our children, I don't think. (laughs) And um, Anyway, uh, so overwhelmingly in that season, we just felt uh, compelled and called uh, according to our faith and by God that, that we were meant to be going and giving up what we had. So we sold our home and pretty much everything we had. Uh, moved into an RV with our, I guess she was a year, year, little over a year
0: our well, daughter. How did your wife feel about this first <laughs> off? Because y'all just had a kid. I, I know.
2: And y'all built, y'all built I mean, you the built house. built a house. Yeah, I yeah, built a
0: brand new house. Yeah, uh, yeah, y'all just built a house. I know my, my fiance. She, she'd say no way.
2: Yeah, like that. <laughs> that sounds and looks absolutely crazy. Yeah,
0: it was. Ladies are. Uh, I think guys, you know, growing up we. When we're single, we can live like complete savages.
1: Absolutely. I mean, on
0: basically nothing, but ladies like comfort, it seems. At least most of the ones I know. Yeah, for sure. So when you're like, hey, here's an idea. We're going to take this awesome home we just built, compress it all up, and move to an RV. <laughs> yeah, so- <laughs> how do you like that? No, it was actually a really
1: amazing thing. So I'm sitting at work one day, and I'm. it's just like constantly on my mind. I can't shake it off. I was just putting it off because I thought, this is insane. We can't do this. I can't ask my wife to do all these things, but I could not shake this call that we just were supposed to go. And so I I texted her at work and I said, uh, Hey babe, can we, can we have a conversation? I just want to like talk about something. And she texted me back. She said, what do you think we should sell our house? I said, (laughs) yeah. And she said, me too. And so like before I could even, Approach the conversation. She was on board. She was on board, That's and, awesome. and it was it was interesting because at the time we didn't know we were going to Austin. We actually put our house on the market before we knew we were going anywhere uh, because we just felt compelled to live in a lifestyle that was enabling us to give more than we were. So we felt like uh, what we had built up sort of prohibited us from living a sacrificial lifestyle to serve other
0: people. Well, and i found that when you have a lot, it's actually harder to give it up. Once you've accomplished something in your life, you've you've hit a milestone. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've hit probably one of the biggest milestones in in someone's life, buying a house. That is considered the most important decision someone makes in their entire life. You Mm -hmm. have done that. You got that out of the way. You're set. And then you go back. Yeah. So, yeah, and I found, I found, uh, I learned this after my divorce, uh, I've been divorced once, and I was miserable. I found when you're somewhere in your life where you can't figure out where you should be, uh, the easiest answer to make you feel better is to give yourself to others, or, or do something selfless. Uh, animals, you know, do do something uh, that, complete, that does not benefit you at all. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why, but nothing else will make you happy, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know why that is, hmm. but i mean you said you were kind of at a crossroads in your life you kind of were thinking that you wanted to do something else than what you were doing and that's the move you made and it seems to have worked out for you
1: yeah it did and and so we did that We, we uh we just packed it all up sold everything we could and moved off to austin for a few months with really no plan coming back except for we thought we might want to try to build this tiny house community here in midland but thinking about the logistics of that was pretty pretty big So we just like went on faith, just left everything, bailed out, went into our RV and and moved to Austin, had this incredible experience uh, living in this community full of formerly homeless people and just experiencing what that would be like uh, just really made us want to hear even more for our friends. And so since then, we've been back in Midland. We established our organization called The Field's Edge. And uh, the field's edge is named after a passage from the Bible that says to leave the edge of your field for the needy and the sojourner, um, because we believe that that is what has been done for us. And so uh, that's what we're called to be doing. So um, That's actually pretty clever. I like yeah. it. So so that's the field's edge. And uh, since, uh, I guess, middle of 2016, we've been working on finding property for that community. And uh, we've got some that uh, we're working on finalizing an agreement on down in southwest Midland. About 22 and a half acres. We're going to build a permanent, supportive tiny home community—a uh, hundred tiny homes—and uh, we'll live out there as a family, as what we would call a missional community, so that we can uh, help to facilitate relationship building and restoration and healing and those kinds of things. But to commit ourselves to living among these people that are coming out of homelessness,
0: I'm betting that in this area, especially—I mean, you're not the only one who used to think how, or who, who thinks how you used to think. Sure, and I'm. I'm betting that's been been one of your challenges is the stereotypes mm-hmm. of uh the homeless.
1: Absolutely. Big uh
0: time. a lot of people think exactly how you think there's no reason to be homeless here. What are some of the stereotypes that people just seem to keep going over in your in their head?
1: Um I think I think just without thinking twice about it, sometimes like I did, people would think that it's as simple as quit being lazy and get a job, and that would solve all your problems. But there's so much underneath all that. One of the simplest things to, to get somebody thinking about it is to ask them, you know, what would happen if you were wanting to get a job and you did not have an I.D.? And somebody you know you could lose your i d for a lot of reasons, but when you're homeless, if you lose your i d to get it back is a nearly an act of Congress because in order to obtain an i d you have to have
0: a permanent, a permanent address address
1: yeah so and and then if you don't there's a process, but it it really we've had to use lawyers to get it done, and there's actually several people here in Midland that i've been unable to obtain i d s for because they don't have necessary documentation to prove that they're like people. So if you don't have an ID, you can't stay at the Salvation Army or a hotel or get a job or do anything if you have no Mm. valid driver's license or identification card. And just that itself, I mean, it starts, it gets you thinking, okay, that, and then you have so many other hurdles, um, whether it's trauma or any, any number of things, Mm -hmm. abuse, um, you know, the, the, one of the big stereotypes is that all homeless people are mentally ill and have addictions, and that is not true. Um, we find that uh, really one in four Americans are diagnosably mentally um, ill in some kind of way. So 25% of us have mental illness.
2: 25% homeless or non-homeless. Yeah,
1: yeah, all, all yeah it, it runs across the all board because, so yeah.
0: as it turns out, they're just people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're
1: just people like me, and uh, and so um, that's, that's common across the board. And the problems that sometimes people associate with homelessness, like addiction and mental health issues, um, are common to all Americans. They're just behind closed
0: doors. You know, you know it's mm. funny that, that you bring that up, because I actually have a personal experience of, uh, uh, with, with a homeless guy. He was outside of a 7-Eleven, and I don't know. I guess I just bought into the stereotype, and uh, I was in there. I was buying myself a six-pack of beer, so I bought him one, too. Yeah. I took him out, took it out there to him, and he's like, thank you, but I don't drink. And I was like, "Homeless people don't drink. What is this?" But that's the first time I was, I, fe- I felt dumb. You know, I was like, I just assumed that this guy drank, and mm-hmm. now I'm an idiot. So I'm gonna go home and. And uh, Drink my rethink. Six packs. Drink some six packs. And it's like, so can I get you some water instead? <laughs> I apologize, <laughs> but you know, I mean, but that's the thing is, we really, we really do have uh, homeless people put into this little box that we like to keep them in, yes. in our brains, and sometimes, and a lot of times, they're just not in that box.
1: Absolutely, and twenty five percent actually, and I think it's higher than this, uh, are employed in some way, whether it's part time or full time jobs. And I think the most recent statistic that came out in the newspaper here was that on, on an individual basis, in order to afford the most you know, most apartments here in Midland, that you would have to make about $26 an hour to, to even afford an apartment. And that is a mm. pretty huge number. That that leaves out a large percent of the population that doesn't make that. And we're actually having a huge issue here in Midland with um, some of our civil servants and, and nurses and teachers and different things like that that we need as a community to function, but they just can't afford to live here.
0: Well, and and I can tell you, I mean, I used to be paid hourly, and I I remember when I was making twenty dollars an hour, I needed a roommate.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: and um, uh, yeah, I that twenty six seems like a very high number. I know a lot of people when you say that number, they're like, no, that that can't be quite right. That yeah. sounds a little high, but. How many people listening right now? Uh, you know, so like I make twenty and I'm just fine. But you have a roommate. That that's the difference. You cannot make it on your own with right. making twenty dollars an hour, even working fifty, sixty hours a week. No. Here, mm-hmm. I mean it's uh, especially if you have a kid to support. I yep. mean, if you're if you're single, you got nobody else. You might be able to pull it off, mm-hmm. but.
1: Yeah, because if you're if you have a child, you got to pay for child care and I mean that's extremely expensive. All these other things,
0: insurance. I mean, you have to pay for insurance whether you like it or especially if you have kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just there's so many factors that go into it. And twenty six, if it is off, it's not too far off.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: So. Um, what are some of the ways that we can get a hold of you guys so we can get involved with uh what it is you're doing
1: yeah we have uh, we have a website www.thefieldsedge.org, and we also have a facebook page uh, the fields edge and we have an instagram uh, the fields edge underscore midland and those are ways that you can connect with us see what we're doing. Uh, Breaking Bread also has a Facebook page, uh, and I don't think they have an Instagram, but that's another way that you can see what we're doing on the ground a lot of days with uh, indirect relationship with our homeless friends. Um, yeah, I write a blog pretty often when I get some spare time like we talked about earlier. <laughs> <There you laughs> but uh, that's a little bit uh, less these days than it right. used to be. But there's a huge history that of, of uh, the whole process since we've kind of had this calling up until now of – what that's been like written out in blog form. So you can, mm-hmm. if you really want to read hours of worth of my halfway good writing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is good writing. I've read it. It's good.
0: Well, we have one final question for you because we are running uh, out of time. Uh, what is it that ultimately makes you do what you do? Why do you do it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that uh, that would be most easily explained just by my faith. Uh, I've, been, I've been given this incredible gift of grace and Faith and belief um, just just things that i haven 't deserved at all in my life that have uh, that have happened to me through Jesus and I think that that has just motivated me to give my life away to other people in service because it because it 's just been given to me so that drives me to um, to do things that I normally wouldn't have done that are sacrificial that may not make sense to some people um, that really it just has been an incredible thing and, and what I would say to that is you know we've we sold our house we we sold a bunch of our things and all this stuff but it doesn't feel like we ever gave up anything because what we have gained in return hasn't been material but has it's been something uh incredible to be doing this kind of work and knowing that it's not only significant for somebody's life here but it's actually eternally significant
0: right mm-hmm. i agree with you um i think that i think that uh one thing that I would like to add on to that is, uh, from personal experience, I can say that if you are depressed, if uh, you find that your life is uh, at a place where you feel it's lost meaning, because uh, sometimes things kind of fade into grayness as life goes goes by, and the easiest way that I've found to gain that back is to give back to others. I don't know what it is. I don't know why, but um, giving back to others and seeing that you are useful to other people is the quickest way... To uh, get out of depression, stop. You don't. You sleep a lot better at night. Anxiety is not mm. nearly as big of a factor. So, uh, once again, how do they get in contact with you? Oh, sorry, Abby.
2: Oh, I, I was just going to add one thing um, to our listeners here. I've gotten to um, ride on the truck with John Mark um, for Breaking Bread, and I just want to give a personal plug for this. Like. Um, if you've never, like, if you're looking for a way to get involved in the community, um, really check out Breaking Bread Mobile and... Um I would really encourage you to follow John Mark and the Fields Edge, Um, but getting out there and just meeting the homeless and getting to serve, hand them a cup of coffee and ask them how they're doing and listening to their story has absolutely changed my life, and um, I really think that it would bring you a lot of joy as well, and it will help bring us together as a community. There's something incredible about getting to serve other people and love other people, but also getting to serve with people, like you're making friends, like we make friends in the truck and it's just an awesome way to to serve our community and to love each other and um, so personally i love it and i just support them 100 <laughs> percent. so get involved
0: and one last time before we go last thing i want you to end on is once again how do they get a hold of you if they want to get involved yeah you can go to our website at
1: www.thefieldsedge.org and you can also email info at thefieldsedge.org uh, those are the best ways our facebook page the field's edge uh you can message us there, comment, uh, like things, share, all the good stuff, uh, but those are those are the best ways to get a
0: hold of us. All right, well we appreciate you John Mark. Yes. John Mark, two names. I got it. <laughs> Thank, Thank you very you. much for coming. Thank Thanks
1: you. for having me. This program was a production of the Recording Library of West Texas and is also available at recordinglibrary.org.